RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 313, The House of Quark. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Mission Log is a show on a mission. Examining episodes of Star Trek, taking them apart for ideas and ideals, and seeing whether the episode holds up today. This week, the House of Quark. Not as jazzy as the House of Bamboo, not as angry as House of Pain, not as delectable as International House of Pancakes, but you know, one makes do. John's got trivia coming up in a bit, but first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Um, No big stars in this episode, John, but what I've noticed is even in a bottle episode, uh, there Mm -hmm. tends to be trivia. Oh, yeah. And this is no bottle episode that we're dealing with here. No, is that pretty much whether it's a bottle episode or not a bottle episode? Whether there are a lot of stars or not a lot of stars, I'm going to bring the trivia. That That is for sure. Yes. Bring the trivia, won't you please? Well, here we go. The House of Quark, the story, is credited to Tom Benko. Now, this is the first time professional writing credit for Tom, but definitely he is a Trek veteran. So his name may not be the first that comes to mind, but he was an editor on dozens of episodes of TNG, DS9, and Voyager. Plus, he directed Devil's Due and Transfigurations for Next Gen. So that makes him the only person to have written, directed, and edited episodes of Star Trek. The teleplay is credited to Ronald D. Moore because, of course, it was its Klingon episode. And Ron had well cemented his reputation as the go-to Klingon guy. He stated that he purposely wanted to take a lighter tone here, get into more detail about Klingon life, but also highlight some of the absurdities. This was directed by Les Landau, journeyman Trek director, of course. He was there as first AD for Encounter at Farpoint, then got to direct on Code of Honor before setting off on a very successful Trek directing career. The most recent DS9 episode of his that we covered was Whispers. Now we have a return to Kronos and that matte painting by Sid Dutton that we first saw on TNG in Sins of the Father. Ken, I'm sorry to tell you it is the last time that we'll be on Kronos until, well, until we get to Enterprise. That's crazy. I know. You you would think with all the Klingon stuff coming up, but no, this is it for Kronos. And, uh, hey, we know that Stephen Hawking was a fan of Star Trek, and we know that he appeared on Star Trek in Next Gen. 
But he actually visited the set more than once. So here we are after the end of TNG, uh, after he filmed his bit for TNG, of course, and Hawking came back to Paramount for a set visit to DS9, escorted by Rick Berman, and all of this was recounted as a very special memory by Armin Shimmerman uh, on one of his favorite episodes. And he, he, he says that it was sort of like watching the smoke clear, and then here was Stephen Hawking, this very VIP guest to their show. Now let's talk about those guest stars, shall we? So we welcome back Robert O'Reilly, back in the role of Gowron, of course. We last saw him on TNG more than a year ago, if you go by air date time, in the season six episode, Rightful Air. At the opening, we have John L. Bennett as Kozak. Uh, his name may not leap to mind among Trek actors, but he's actually been around for quite a while. He had an uncredited role on TNG in The Icarus Factor, and he has three on-screen appearances in DS9, uh, but he was actually Avery Brooks's stand-in for most of this show's run, which means he was on set as much as anybody. DeGore is played by Carlos Carrasco. He is from Panama, and he got his start in theater before working in a number of action movies, TV roles, and commercials, but we're not done with him on track. He will be back twice more on DS9 and once in Voyager. Mary Kay Adams appears here as Grilka. You may have seen Mary Kay on Babylon 5 as Natoff, but she has appeared a number of times in soap operas, like her recurring role on The Guiding Light. What? Yep. Who'd I'm she play? Kidding. Who'd she play? Uh, I, I can't tell you the name, but I can tell you she played that role on and off between like 1985 and 2004. I got to look this up now. You keep going. Okay. <laughs> now, we will see Mary Kay one more time on DS9 as Grilka. I was glad that we're not totally done with her yet. And uh, finally, I'm, I'm just going to vamp here for you, Ken. Finally, Tumek is played by Joseph Ruskin. His career started back in the 1950s, and he's got it credits all over the place, but... Trek fans already know him, of course, from TOS as Galt in the Gamesters of Triskelion. Now, he may not have appeared in TNG, though he was in the movie Insurrection, but he appears here in DS9, then in Voyager, then again in Enterprise, making him the only actor other than Majel Barrett to have an appearance in one way or another in all of those series. And Ken, I've reached the end of my guest star trivia, so uh, Mary Kay Adams, Guiding Light, what's the word? Uh, Mary Kay Adams, not in Guiding Light. One what? Life to Live. I've got her down here on IMDb. I'm on IMDb right now. It says One Life to Live. It says As the World Turns. I'm not seeing Guiding Light. I cannot wow. believe that you would get my hopes up like that, <laughs> that you would make me think that we had another Guiding Light crossover. Well, see, here, here's the thing, you know, I, no, 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 wait, wait, Mary Kay Adams. Yeah. Gui Guiding Light. Where do you see that? Right. Again, she, from 1984 <laughs> to 2005, India von Halkine. Uh, oh. India von Halkine Spalding. I remember India, India Spalding. I remember India. I, why, why is she not showing up here? One of you, either you or IMDB is mocking me right now. I'll tell you what, during the break, we'll try to figure out which one. I couldn't just make up India von Halking. No, and it, no, you gotta you gotta write the first time. It's von Halkine. Von Halkine. Okay, I distinctly that is remember not a thing. That, that character. Not a thing. I'm just saying, for some reason, my phone is messing with me.
Less soulful than the House of Blues. Less scary than the last house on the left. Less restrictive than the House of Corrections. More reputable than a house of ill repute. More sturdy than the House of Usher. Less organ than the House of the Rising Sun. This is the House of Cork. Prologue. Tensions with the Dominion are driving Quark's business into the ground. 9 p.m. and things are dead. Except for this one deadbeat Klingon who soon ends up dead. Accidentally killed in a drunken tussle with Quark over his bar tab. Act 1. Dead Klingon in Quark's is a bit like a train wreck. Nobody can look away. Sensing a chance to revive his business, Quark lays out a new story. He killed the Klingon in self-defense, because apparently the best bars in the galaxy are the ones where the owner may kill you. Of course, Odo doesn't buy Quark's story, but Quark stands by it. Even once he finds out that the Klingon he killed, Kozak, was the head of a powerful Klingon family. Are you sure you don't want to change your story? You know, before other members of his family come for revenge? With business suddenly booming, Quark stands by his story. Now order something, or make way for some paying customers. While Quark's business is booming, other concerns aren't faring as well. A lot of Bajorans have gone back to Bajor, leaving just Nog and Jake Sisko in Deep Space Nine school. So Keiko O'Brien has closed the school. She can tutor the two remaining students, but they're not enough to keep the school open. Act 2 Hey, remember that thing Odo was worried about? Someone from Kozak's family coming after Quark for revenge? Meet the Gore, Kozak's brother. He wants to know exactly how Kozak died, and fearing for his life, Quark is ready to tell the truth. But the Gore doesn't want to hear the truth. He wants to hear that Kozak died an honorable death, in personal battle, so Quark tells him that instead. It's not a happy ending, but at least it's honorable. No need to kill Quark. Back at the O'Brien's quarters, Miles has prepared a lavish dinner in honor of I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the galaxy day. I think this might be a made-up holiday, meant to take Keiko's mind off her having, seriously, nothing to do. They have a good night. They have a very good night. Then they have a nice morning. But as he's leaving, Miles sees Keiko slip quickly back into being unhappy. Back in Quark's, say hello to another of Kozak's family. It's Grilka, Kozak's widow. Hey, listen, no need to worry, says Quark. Kozak died an honorable death, like a warrior. Drawing a knife, Grilka suggests Quark defend himself, which sends Quark scurrying, which confirms what Grilka suspected. Quark did not kill Kozak in personal combat. Yeah, Quark confesses he lied. Grilka figures he must be a pretty good liar, having fooled everyone. In fact, she wants him to put his gift for lying to work for her. So she knocks him unconscious and takes him to Kronos, the Klingon homeworld. When Quark comes to Tumek, Grilka's advisor explains. The Gore asked Quark to say that Kozak's death was honorable so he could lay claim to Kozak's house and property. Had Quark told the truth that Kozak was so drunk he basically tripped on his knife and killed himself, Grilka might have been able to get a special dispensation from the Klingon High Council and run the house herself, even though she is a woman. So nice job. Grilka's got a plan, though, and literally before he knows what's happening, Quark is told to repeat a few words in Klingon after Tumak and finds himself 
married to Grilka. Act 3. Back on Deep Space Nine, O'Brien has a favor to ask of Commander Sisko. Can he please have an old cargo bay for Keiko? He's figuring she might want to open an arboretum. You know, use her botany skills for... Eh, the first time since the series began. Sisko thinks Cargo Bay 21 would be ideal. At the Klingon High Council, Degore is making his play for Kozak's fallen house. Gowron's about to give the move his blessing when Grilka shows up, married to Quark, and laying claim to Kozak's house herself. Weird though it may be, Grilka has followed Klingon law. As the one who won in combat, Quark's entitled to his new position. Gowron has to allow it. The House of Kozak has fallen, henceforth to be known as the House of Quark. I'm sorry, Quark. Act 4. Now, time for the next stage of Grilka's plan. Just one problem, there is no next stage of her plan. Quark has an idea. Why not tell me what's going on and maybe we can think of a plan? Here's the sitch. Kozak squandered a lot of his family's wealth. Gambling, bad investments, like you do. A lot of the money owed is owed to the gore. If he gets Kozak's property, he also gets power. Lots of it. Maybe enough to get a seat on the Klingon High Council. Right. Quark may be able to figure an angle if he can see all of the House Kozak books, and those of Degore as well. Grilka says trying to catch Degore in ledgers and money is not the Klingon way, though Quark points out that the Klingon way hasn't really worked out for anybody so far. Can't hurt to have a look. On Deep Space Nine, Miles is showing Julian the plans for the Arboretum that he's planned for Keiko. It looks great. Won't work. Dude, she doesn't want a hobby, which is what Julian thinks the Arboretum would be for a trained botanist like Keiko. How happy would Miles be, a chief engineer, if he was given a workshop in which to putter? She's a botanist. Until she can be a botanist again, Julian doubts Keiko will ever be truly happy. Back on Kronos, Quark's time with Kozak and Degore's books has paid off. Sifting through the figures, it looks like Degore has been manipulating House Kozak's finances to weaken it and strengthen his own house. Grilka is outraged. Degore should have declared his hostilities. Come at them like a warrior. Why? asked Quark. That would have just risked damaging the things he wanted, the property and holdings of House Kozak. When Quark says he can prove all of this to the council, Grilka is grateful. So grateful that she'll forgive Quark's clumsy sexual advance rather than break every bone in his body, which would be her usual reaction. Before the Klingon High Council, Quark's explanation is not going over well. Gowron wants to cut to the chase. Degore has been accused of using money to bring down a great house. Rather than answer that charge, Degore levels another at Quark that he lied about Kozak's death being honorable. Kozak tripped and fell on his own knife. Here to testify, the only other witness to the fight, Quark's brother Rom. Act 5. When the going gets tough, Quark and Rom try to run away. But Grilka and Tumek stop their escape. She appeals to Quark's honor. He, of course, has none. She thought he was different. Turns out he's not. And so she lets he and Rom go. 
Of course, Quark is different this week. Having been challenged to combat, Quark shows up to Klingon High Council, ready to do battle with Dagor. Eh, well, ready to be killed by Dagor. In fact, that is Quark's play. As soon as combat commences, Quark throws down his batleth. This whole thing's a show anyway. They just want him to go through the motions so that they can say it was honorable. He won't play. Falling to his knees, Quark tells Dagor to do it. Kill him. Just be sure when you tell the story to your children, your grandchildren, tell them how you executed an unarmed Ferengi half your size. Dagor has absolutely no problem with that, and he raises his batleth for the killing blow. But Galron does have a problem with it. If he can murder an unarmed Ferengi for personal gain, then everything Quark said was true. Dagor has no honor. And with that, Galron and the rest of the council turn their backs on Dagor. Considering the circumstances, Galron figures there's enough here to grant Grilka the special dispensation. She will be allowed to lead her house on her own. Quicker than he was married, Quark is divorced. Then it's a quick kiss with the ex, and Quark is a free Ferengi. Oh, and Miles found a job for Keiko. Like a botany job! There's an expedition on Bajor, surveying an area that's never been studied. It'll be six months, but Miles says he'll be fine, and Keiko can take Molly with her. Keiko's resistant, uh, not because she doesn't want the gig, but because she made a promise to stay with Miles and make things work on Deep Space Nine. But Miles says he wants her to be happy. Business at Quark's is dying off again, though Rom says money isn't everything. Quark has respect now. Then he asks Quark to tell the story again, about the time he risked his life before the Klingon High Council. The end. Well done. Thank you. It's all vivid in my mind again. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. By the way, because I know people are wondering, I know people are worried. It was neither my phone nor uh, you uh, that were yeah. messing with me. It was IMDb. They've changed. They've changed something in their formatting, which I hate. And rest assured, I will be giving them a bad review on Rotten Tomatoes. Are we still on this? <laughs> no, I just. Uh, I just I, here's the thing. Kay. Yeah, but here's yeah. the thing. I knew I would forget, and I know people mm-hmm. would be like, "What's wrong with them?" It's right there because it is. It was actually. It was actually her very first credit. It's weird. Right. This whole thing was built for me. The picture of her in IMDb is of mm-hmm. her from this episode of Deep Space Nine. Uh, the first credit listed is uh, Guiding Light, and yet somehow I managed to miss the whole thing. So you had me doubting myself, which uh, is very difficult because I, I, I think, keep thinking, did I did I see another <laughs> title and just you were on my mind? So I wrote down the guiding yeah, light instead yeah. that I just wanted to do that for you. It is it is my hope that by the time we're done, done, done with Mission Log, mm-hmm. I will have that effect on people that everywhere they go, <laughs> everything they see, guiding light, guiding light, guiding It'll light. It'll be like the Mandela effect, but for the guiding light. Uh, sure, if you want. Yeah. Or it could also mm-hmm. be like a being John Malkovich, maybe, where by the end of it's getting light, getting light, getting sure. light. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Hey, should we do Star Trek stuff now? Yeah, if you want to. Okay, so Morn. <laughs> Morn, <laughs> he's yeah. having a good night. Yeah, it's a good night for Morn. Indeed. He gives the thumbs up. Yeah. I love that. Got a special yeah. lady friend. Special. I'm looking forward to seeing how it works out between these two, because, mm-hmm. you know... 
Last call at a bar. That's usually the start of a long lasting. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But we got a rule of acquisition out of it. Rule number 286. When Morn leaves, it's all over. Yeah. It's not real. But I wish yeah. it was. I wish that was a real. I would like because I like the idea that Morn is such a renowned barfly. Yeah. <laughs> That there's yeah. like a whole rule of acquisition just for him. <laughs> That's, that would be so good. Um, so, hey, here's a question. Um, Keiko, really intently working on her bonsai tree, yeah. says that she closed the school because the Bajoran kids went back to Bajor. <laughs> and then she's only off Jake and Nog. And I'm trying to picture that conversation. Like, Jake and Nog show up for school. And she's like, oh, it's just you two? All right, we're closing the school. <laughs> Because I mean. <laughs> you're not worth it. Yeah, it was actually, it was interesting because she said, um, you know, I, I, I told them I would tutor them. And I'm like, well, how are they going to know if they need tutoring? Right. Because yeah, what are exactly. they studying? And is anybody giving them tests or anything? Like, you know, like Jake's about to put a fork in a socket. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I picture Nog there going, maybe we should ask Mrs. O'Brien if this is a good idea. Like yeah, look, I have an be? idea. Yeah. Yeah. We have tutoring, but we do it during structured hours in the same place <laughs> where we have resources we can use throughout the week. That's an interesting idea. What would you call something like that, though? I can't. I, uh, I don't know. I uh, Keiko's, Keiko's Tutor House for Kids. Maybe this was know. maybe this was like, like always in the contract, though, because she was not a teacher anyway. I mean, it became mm, a sure. thing. It's actually kind of interesting to me because did she have anything to do with the Arboretum? On the Enterprise, I honestly can't remember. No, I, I don't think that we ever saw. Okay, I, All right. may, maybe we, maybe we heard of it because but. there was a lot of time where she would not have been botanying on the Enterprise, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there has yeah. to be. They're yeah. not at a planet all the time. They spend more time between planets, I would think, than on them. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was it was strange. Well, I mean, we'll we'll talk more about Keiko later. I feel certain their oh, whole, oh, their we whole will. situation. But um, yeah, I, I I will say. Uh, whatever that computer-assisted design thing that he was using on the pad, that, mm -hmm. that's like iPad stuff right there. Like, I, I'm well, trying to, I wish I could remember how futuristic I actually thought something like that looked at the time, because I'm yeah, seeing it now, and yeah. I'm like, I, I just want, I want to buy that app. Is it like five ninety nine, six ninety nine, ninety nine 99 cents in the app store? I'm there. Right, right. And even the shape of that pad that he had was very much like a, as of this recording, modern iPad Pro. As of like this the, recording. the geometry right. of that thing. That's yeah. right. Kids, kids from the 2057s. An iPad wasn't a thing you swallowed back in the day. No. <laughs> right, it was a right. thing you held like a caveman and drew on yeah. like a caveman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man, that scene with Quark being confronted by Degore on the station is just great. In, in, a, in an episode that has many great scenes, that was a real standout. I, I love... Essentially, it comes down to uh, let me just tell you whatever you'd like to hear. Okay, that is what I'd like to hear. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah, like that thing from uh, Raisin Arizona. Yeah. You're not just telling us what we want to hear, are you? Yeah. No, sir, because we just want to hear the truth. Well, then I guess I am just telling you what you want to hear. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was, exactly. it, it was fun when he did that. It was, and yeah, and then him trying to figure out, okay, what does everybody want to hear at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah really fun stuff. Um, oh, hey, you know what? Look, back to Keiko and Miles. I can't help myself. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he tells her, you're five minutes early. The canapes aren't ready yet. They literally come out of a replicator. <laughs> or not. <laughs> well, I mean, because he's got all the other stuff going. And yes. pretty much the job at that point is use the chopsticks to move something from one place to another place. Which, again, the replicator could have done. <laughs> it's true. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the galaxy day only happens whenever it needs to happen, though. So you, mm-hmm. you want to appear to like, put in a little effort at least. True. Yeah. OK, that that's true. So he set the timer on the replicator for the canapes to be ready in five minutes. Yes, I guess so. Well, because okay. he knew it was going to take him a little extra time to get everything, you know, like one noodle at a time from the bowl to the plate. But speaking of which, I, I think you're really just dragging this out because everybody knows what's coming next. You're going to tell them what food was in the episode. Well, exactly. I was trying to get a good look at the food and, and you had some soba noodles and some little random like vegetables and other things in the bowls. Maybe there was a shrimp in there. It's kind of hard to tell because the, the, the camera moved fast. It, it stayed away from the food. Couldn't get a great look at the uh, label on the champagne bottle either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will just say that it is poor form to let it overflow when you pop the cork. <laughs> now I get it. He was in a hurry. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Um, also, shout out to Plomeek Soup. Yeah, no, that was actually, it was with a bit of basil. Oh, yes. yes yeah. Yes. How, how, how refined. Yes, indeed. Uh, I, I know this whole thing, by the way, is just your, your push for the remaster still. Mm-hmm. What was, yeah, what 100%. Left on the table. Yeah, coming in 2025. That's yeah. my guess. 2025, <laughs> 2027. Look for our Kickstarter, you know, whatever thing mm-hmm. any minute now. Uh, so, so, uh, Miles goes to Cisco and says, I would like a cargo bay. Mm-hmm. It's not for me. It's for my wife, you see. And, yeah. uh, and, and Cisco's like, oh, cargo bay 21 should be good. The ODN conduits are shot and the security systems never worked. Uh, that'll be perfect for Keiko. By the way, <laughs> chief, I think you might want to be able to fix the ODN conduits and security in cargo bay 21 now. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because he's complaining about, oh yeah, that place is a real, sh- hey, wait a second. Yeah. That was on my list of stuff to do, wasn't it, Commander? I'm sorry. Let me get right on that after Keiko builds yeah. a arboretum. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, oh, man, that little curtsy that Quark does when he enters the Klingon Great Hall for the first time just just kills me. I, I love that little physicality. Remind me, was that something that he does before the Grand Nagus? I can't remember. Oh, boy, you, you may be right. Yeah, he, he's kind of, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we know that he leans and he, he, he kisses the, uh, the, the stick, the walking stick. There. Yeah. Uh, but um, I feel like that's a thing that we've seen him do before, but I can't remember where exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it was really funny. And, um, oh, there, there was such a great line uh, when Grilka says, I'm going to let you take your hand off my thigh instead of shattering every bone in your body. Not only a great line, but his laugh at the end of that was just wonderful. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. Go on. Sure. Um, I, I got more. I got yeah, more. No, and we're going to come back to this again. Uh, uh, Keiko, you know what would make you so happy? Take our kid away and go away for six months. Yeah. 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 yeah that's that's going to make you so happy. Where was she, by the way? Where was Molly in this episode? Uh, it's inconsequential, clearly. I guess. <laughs> clearly. I guess it must be. Let's see. I got a school for I got a school for Jake and Nog and oh. Oh, um, there were the kids from Bajor. Other one. I can't remember. It seems like there's one that we're forgetting. I, uh, yeah, I didn't mean to laugh when I was doing the recap, but the first time I saw it and then every time I saw it after that, I was like, 
It, it, well, again, we're going to talk about this in a minute, so we should, yeah. probably shouldn't write this second. Okay, well, we mentioned the little stuff. Uh, a sweet moment with Rom asking Quark to tell the story again mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. I, I love the way that was played, so kudos to uh, Max and Armin for that. And uh, let's see, a couple of Klingon things. Man, they're divorce rituals. Maybe we have a lot to learn from them. Um, <laughs> really, really short and to the point. And here's the thing that I was wondering. If... Maybe part of growing up Klingon is rehearsing the choreography for shunning dishonorable Klingons. I mean, you watch and they do it in sync. It's perfect timing. They do it in order. They go around the room. It is so spot on. Yeah, it's like if Busby Berkeley was a Klingon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 joke, by the way, is for like one and a half of you. Busby Berkeley was a film director and choreographer, famous for elaborate production numbers. He did, however, employ very few Klingons. We'll dig deeper into the House of Quark in a moment, but first, a word from ExpressVPN. Uh, let me ask you a question. You remember the episode that took place, uh, John, with it was with Chris Sarandon. Rivals was that what it was called? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where cool. and 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 how it worked was, uh, Chris Sarandon would sit in Quarks mm-hmm. and he would listen to people talk, mm-hmm. and then he would take the information that he picked up in Quarks and then he would use that against people and he you know, steal their money or you know take over something or something. He was a bad guy, mm-hmm. but but it didn't seem like he was a bad guy. All he was doing was sitting there listening to people, maybe talking to them occasionally, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, uh, your local coffee shop that gives you free Wi-Fi. Uh, uh, your local hotel that gives you free Wi-Fi, uh, yeah. any place that gives you free Wi-Fi that's not your house, right? That's that's like that episode. Well, wait a minute. So Chris Sarandon, a.k.a. Jerry Dandridge, is listening in on my internet activity when I'm at a coffee shop? It's possible. I'm okay. not saying it's happening every time, but it's possible. Because here's the thing. If you take your computer and go onto public Wi-Fi, you're at much greater risk than if you're using something uh, like a virtual private network, uh, like ExpressVPN, for example. With ExpressVPN, the information you send and receive stays between you and the website to which you're connecting. That means bad guys won't get your banking information. You don't have to worry about Chris Sarandon, John. Good. I'm, I'm tired of worrying about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Aren't we all? Yeah. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than 7 bucks a month. It is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. And it comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you ever use public Wi-Fi and want to keep your information secure, ExpressVPN is the solution. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N expressvpn.com slash mission log for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash mission log to learn more. And a big thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this week's show. Hey, before we get into other stuff, let's spend a little time on Kronos. You want to? I I do. Okay. Because, you know, we don't get to go back for like another, it's like two whole series from now, practically. I know. It's going to feel like a long time. It's okay, Um, though, because there's going to come a point in the future 
where you just can't even get away from Kronos. Just everything is Kronos <laughs> Every, all the time. Everything yeah. is Kronos. Yes, indeed. Oh, I, I like a nice pronunciation. <laughs> Thank very you. Good. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, hopefully I won't forget that in 10 years. <laughs> I guess I, I'm a little bit surprised at the idea that women still don't have much power, even after the Duras sisters, because, I mean, they they just came in like a lion, a couple mm -hmm. of lions, a couple of lionesses even. Um, but it, it's still fun to see Klingon sort of manipulate each other just by saying honor whenever it suits them. Um, also, I, I wonder, do Klingons not read their bank statements? Why would they need to? Well, no honor insolvency. I mean, well, I mean, you know. there's, there's no nobody would be dishonorable enough to steal, apparently. Oh, that's good. That's so, the idea yeah. anyway, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. But there was something interesting in that sort of uh, that that battle. And I do, it, you know, going into this, uh, having learned that Ronald D. Moore wanted to have fun with it. He's, it's not it's not satire of the Klingons. He just wanted to sort of lighten the mood a little bit. And I think you can't help but accomplish that when you have uh, Robert O'Reilly as Gowron, just because he's sort of chewing the scenery all the time. Mm -hmm. And then you introduce a character like Quark in there, who's clearly going to be out of his element. Um, but there is a moment in this uh, ersatz trial going on where um, Quark is accused of just being a liar Mm -hmm. And then the and then the the solution is well we better just fight it out, <laughs> you know. I, I found it to be fun and terrifying, and a little bit funny just because it, it seems to me that yeah this is perfect for Klingon, but there's also as we always say that they are us, you know the 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 alien species on Star Trek are us. It just seems like any time there is an issue of any importance. Uh, that is debated and anytime there's a side with evidence like here you've got quark he he did the homework he said right. yeah show me the bank records show me the ledgers i'm going to show you what's going on here in black and white he, that immediately puts him at a disadvantage against the side that has drama mm -hmm. that has the emotional appeal because the Klingons are much, it's like, oh, this thing with the numbers, boring. Yeah. We're just going to fall back on our tried and true, which is, oh, you said that? Now we're going to fight. That's how we'll solve this. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, and, and thank goodness nothing like that ever happens. No, ever, ever. And, and, and you know, for Gowron, by the way, Gowron, good for him for stepping in. I just wondered how many other Klingons in that room would have enjoyed seeing, uh, you know, a Batleth go right through Quark. Well I, well, I mean, it's interesting that Gowron, well, he's not um, confusing him with the other one. So Gow it was Kaelas that came and he was going to be the spiritual leader, but Gowron was going to be the leader. Is that correct? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, okay. Yeah. Because, because it's sort of surprising that Gowron did step in at that point. I would have expected Kalos to be the one or somebody who was really guided by Kalos to be the one mm. because the question of honor versus the question of power. I mean, that's always been kind of a weird thing with the Klingons, right? That's what happened sure. in um, uh, Sin to the Father, I guess it was. Mm -hmm. When they knew, they knew that Worf's dad was not who they thought, but it would have been too damaging to let it yeah, go on. Yeah, they didn't on. care. Right. And yeah. so, well, it's not that they didn't care. They just, you know, they weren't going to do anything about it. <laughs> they cared. They cared. I mean, I would say their thoughts and prayers were certainly with oh, yeah. uh, Worf yeah, that, that at that time. Yeah, yeah, but they did, of course, have to Busby Berkeley back on him, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and if you exactly. don't know what I'm talking about, well, I yeah. had to double check and make sure that I knew what I was talking about as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's, well... I, 
honestly, I sort of moved. I, I had my thoughts on on that whole thing to the next segment. And so, if you're cool, we can actually just go ahead and talk about uh, what Spock might say: the women. Yeah, well, that, let's move along because we, we got to work Grilka into this. But then I think we're going to spend a little more time with the the real A plot here, which is definitely not the A plot. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yes. Here's yeah. the thing. I know that Deep Space Nine is not uh, TNG or TOS. I know that mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine is not the show that says we're going to tackle, you know, gender issues or we're going to tackle yeah, racism or we're going to tackle, mm-hmm. you know, in, in sort of a in the sort of the same kind of way. And yeah. yet both of the uh, stories here, I mean, do have a bit to say about gender roles. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure where I am on where they come out, though. I mean, I think Grilka should absolutely be allowed to run her own house. And certainly the story gets to the place where she is allowed to run her own house. Mm-hmm. But she can only do that, you know, one, as long as men screw up enough that you might as well let a woman do it. Because, yeah. you know, her husband screwed it up so badly. And then the other thing is, as long as men say it's okay. Yeah, I yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, but I mean, here's the thing. It, it's it's the fun of sort of flipping the gender role. And you know that Grilka is smarter than pretty much any of the other Klingons that we've met here hmm. in, in this episode. She she is the, the, the smartest person in the room, um, it, at least in that. Uh, oh, it, it, I'm not sure I would I, agree with that, honestly. She's no less smart. She's no dumber than anybody in the room. Um, I mean, I, you, I think you kind of got to give props to Decor because he, he played the long game. He leveraged, he leveraged, you know, finances. I mean, he's, he's the smartest quark who actually is the smartest guy in the room in this episode, I think. Yeah, well, I, I think DeGore, I don't know. He, he, yes, he, he ran this con for a number of years, but yes. he's a sort of blinded by his own greed. Um, I think Quark is at least thinking a step ahead of him. Um, and yeah, Grilka didn't have the whole plan figured out, but we know that she is the best person to run the... Oh, sure. Uh, to, to run her family. And then Gowron, I mean, Gowron is a sort of... Um, Gowron's not dumb by any stretch, but Gowron's sort of more concerned with just keeping up the appearance and uh, and making sure that he throws in honor every now and then, and then everybody will be fine. And actually, Tumek, I think Tumek's pretty smart here, but but he he's also benefiting from the idea that he's there to help Grilka. Uh, they're going to help each other. They uh, they sort of know the the score here. Um, not to make it too much about today, but you know what? Actually, Gowron reminds me of. Gowron reminds me of people who say, well, I don't know anything about computers. And so, they, oh, and so yeah. they don't care about things like, you know, password safety or, you yeah. know, or, <laughs> right. or, or like running a good VPN, <clears throat> you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, Gowron is somebody who like, I mean, like, like Quark is actually there saying, okay, this guy is about to usurp like Klingon law and he's doing it in ways that you don't want to pay attention to. And Gowron's response is, I don't want to pay attention to that. Kill somebody. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Or at least maim somebody. Would that would that be too much to ask? I mean, that's sort yeah. of that's sort of where the Gowron thing is, which I'm not sure. I mean, again, that that's not actually the gender part of it. Yeah. Y- you're right. It's it's like what you said, um, like what you said uh, earlier uh, after the Duras sisters. Although, remember, the Duras sisters are dead. So it didn't really go that well for them either. Right. Mm-hmm. They got mm-hmm. killed in mm-hmm. generations. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, they, maybe they were like, well, we tried that. Didn't work. <laughs> back to 
back to you know the way it's always been ever shall be um and the bigger one as you say uh, bigger for us i mean it's definitely the b plot in this episode but it's kind of a bigger thing uh the stuff going on between uh, keiko and miles right oh oh yes oh yes so on the one hand the eventual answer uh you know go and take the baby with you <laughs> i mean it kind of seems like a prize for miles um and you know keiko too and that she gets to do exactly what she wants to do and what she was trained to do um but there's not a single thought that maybe Molly should stay on the station mm-hmm. because I mean, if mm-hmm. the dominion come through, granted she would die, you know, before Keiko did, but only about three and a half hours before Keiko did because the dominion, their first stop is deep space nine. Their second stop is, uh, is Bajor. In yeah. the meantime, uh, we're given to understand that she's going to be out like, you know, in, in uh, like the mountains uh, doing botany stuff. You know, it goes great with that. A four-year-old. <laughs> yeah, so good. Yeah. Such a good choice. Hey, do they have schools on Bajor? Because, you know. <laughs> they do. Somebody could open a school. They, well, yeah. no, I think they do because that's where all those uh, Bajoran kids went mm-hmm. after they left. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. And now right? Molly is going to be brought up with a, a lifetime of, like, cloud monsters and Well, only as she stuff. goes to that one village. Although yeah, amazing, okay. amazing accessories, though. So, you know, give her yes. that. Yes. So um, good. Here's the one thing I will say, and and it's not. I mean, yes, okay. It, it 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 struck me as funny, like laugh out loud funny when he was like, you know, when she says, you know, the whole thing, oh, I can't leave you and Molly. He's like, no, take Molly. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. It really yeah, did strike yeah. me as laugh out loud funny. The one thing I do like about this, um, Miles seems genuinely pained by Keiko's having nothing to do. We've seen so many episodes where I don't even know why they hang out, let alone why they stay married. And 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 yet, maybe it was the direction, maybe it was the way it was played. I don't know what it is exactly. Um, like even if we don't like the way it ends here, I love Miles' motivations throughout this whole thing. Uh, you know the part. Oh, and take your baby with you. Our baby, excuse me. <laughs> take the baby with you. Uh, that yeah. part excluded. Um, I I liked their relationship in this episode for the first time in um, ever. Yeah. Well. Uh, okay. Yeah, that that's fair. I mean, I I I kind of came down on the similar to where you did, where my note was that I'm left not really feeling sure about how I should feel about that storyline, mm-hmm. um, because the thing that I liked is that it showed care and concern. Yes. You know, just from the get-go, Miles is concerned. Other people are concerned. They're not making light of it. Um, th- this is something that is real in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's fine. But uh, but what felt odd to me is just this idea that it's all these men on Deep Space Nine who are figuring out a way to keep her happy. Yes, that I, I was going to say that is one thing. I mean, if you're going to fault it, you know, for anything besides it wouldn't even occur to him to keep you know Molly with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did spend the whole time trying to fix it for her rather yeah. than talking to her about, you know, what she might want to do. Right, right. And that's what's so strange is I wanted a scene with Keiko and somebody else mm. who is not Miles desperately trying to fix it. Oh, here's some champagne. Here's some noodles and some random vegetables. You know, have her talk to have her talk to Dax. Have her talk to uh, Kira. Have her talk to somebody, anybody. And look, I, I realize that, you know, the, the Bechtel-Wallace test is not the be-all, end-all for analyzing film and TV. So please save your, your emails. 
But it's an interesting place to start. It's an interesting way to approach something when you're looking at the characters in a movie or a TV show and how they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you have this primary relationship between Miles and Keiko, but but Keiko is a character, a person with her own agency who ultimately has some hand in being responsible for her own happiness. So, if we're not going to have a scene with her talking to somebody else saying either wow, I really can't figure this out. It, it it's kind of terrible that the school is gone and I'm looking for some guidance. I need to figure things out. Cool. She can go have that conversation with someone. Um, or maybe the type of conversation where she says to Miles, like, look, you can't fix my happiness, <laughs> you know, but yeah. instead we get the best advice from Bashir, Bashir who says you can't fix this, i.e. you can't fix her. You know, her her happiness, her sense of well-being, her sense of uh, pride in what she does. This is all going to come from her. So thank you, Dr. Bashir, for actually having the most sensitive and thoughtful of any of the advice handed out here. You know, you're making me... The problem is you run the risk of having it be too much like a counselor. I mean, it seems like the person who would have been best uh, able to talk about this would have been uh, Dax. I mean, and mm, only because mm-hmm. of the reason that she said to uh, that she said to O'Brien, uh, I've, I've been a husband and I've been a wife. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, like, right. That might be an interesting person to talk to. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, props to uh, props to the ever sensitive Julian. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah was, it's it so good, funny. It was a good play there. It was a good play. And so funny that when Dax says that. Like, I've seen this problem from both sides. Oh, okay. Well, you better get out of the room then. <laughs> you know? exactly. We're not yeah. talking about you, Dax. We're talking about me. <laughs> right, right. But I, I, I kind of, or, you know, put it in a scene where, um, where Keiko can say to Miles, this is terrible. This is not how I wanted things to go. But I realize that there are other opportunities for me. I will make this happen. I will be okay. I could use your help here and there in these other places, but you know, you don't need to go build an arboretum, which by the way, I don't know how far they got on the arboretum. I'm assuming nowhere. I'm assuming it was just the drawing and the, uh, just the drawing. Okay. The they didn't mat. start yeah. moving walls or anything like wow. that. Wow. Okay. Can you imagine how different that would have been though? I mean, just, just switch those two things where miles comes home and Keiko says, I found out about this opportunity. I'm taking Molly. Mm. That's, mm-hmm. that's a whole different, you know, from the show that brings you all the drama. That's a level of drama that, that, would have really rocked that character. I mean, rocked like, Whoa! I mean, like, you know, <laughs> right. then you've got O'Brien shaken. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. O'Brien must suffer. Is that yeah. what it is that people keep? Yeah. That would be, that'd be like, uh, that'd be worse than almost anything. Miles. Well, except for the war crimes and the torture, but yeah, it'd be oh, bad. It'd be yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. 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 There is that. Hey, uh, let's talk about Quark just a little bit here. Um, cause you, you said that he so far is your favorite character on DS nine. Mm hmm. So they keep layering and playing with the complexity of Quark. And I'm wondering, you know, I was left with this question. Is he discovering his noble or principled side because of his exposure to people on DS9? Or or is this something that he had in him that comes out from time to time uh, when he's, you know, not trying to kill his brother or kill his station mates or maybe somebody he's trying to swindle, you know? I, I, I wonder, 
like that's kind of the fun, fascinating thing with Quark is that he'll do something that seems a little altruistic. And then you go, oh, but wait, was that really him doing it because it's the right thing to do? Or it was the convenient thing to do that happened to work out in this altruistic way? Well, when he came back, actually, to to save Grilka, I mean, he tells Rom later that was that was his last card. But yeah, he yeah. didn't have to play that card. He had already pushed back from the table. Hmm. And so the fact that he came back and, I mean, did risk his life. I mean, it's like, I mean, I know it's just a, a throwaway line, but I said, you yeah, know, Quark is different this week. I mean, he's, yeah, been, right. he's yeah. been different more lately than he's been, you know, the Quark that we first met. How he's going to mm-hmm. be, I mean, you know, tune in next week. There is a house on Old Kronos they call the House of Quark. Nothing like a Klingon house. The difference is quite stark. Well, closing time at Quark's. Time for you to go back to the places you will be from. Except for you, Morn. I'd hang around for a couple minutes. You never know. As yeah, time to wind things up, but before we do, we need to talk about the uh, you know the ideas, the ideals, the ideas presented, the things that we uh, that we may have learned from this episode of uh, Star Trek, specifically Deep Space Nine, more specifically the House of Quark. John, uh, uh, take us through what you took from this show. Well, I mean, there's a big disparity between the A plot and the B plot, but it, here's the thing: it, it's just overall a very solid episode. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I was amused that, uh, you know, if tax evasion is how they got Al Capone, why not use that on a Klingon? At least Quark tried <laughs> using that to get the uh, to get the Klingon in the end. Um, but overall, it's just kind of a fun story with good character moments, especially for Quark. The, this is just purely a dig deep into Quark and, and see what he's made of kind of story. But still give him that kind of smarmy edge that he has always had from the beginning. And and like I said, twisting it again at the end where you have that kind of sweet moment between Rom and Quark really kind of solidify their relationship as well. There was so much good stuff being played um, really with anyone and Armin. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and even if the stuff with Keiko and Miles is just a little strange... I, you know, I, I'm not going to say in this that I either loved all of that or I hated all of that. It was an attempt to build that relationship a bit more. Um, do I totally buy that that solution just works? Like, hey, take the kid and go away for six months. It'll be great. Um, I, I like that they explored it with a little more depth than they have before than just the, the bickering O'Briens which yeah. is what we had had before. So, um, you know, I'll give him kind of a, kind of a B plus for effort on that part. Uh, but for the Quark stuff, definitely an A all the way through. Uh, what about you, just in terms of uh, the episode holding up? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, it's weird because, well, I guess this won't really surprise anybody. Uh, it, it felt more like a TNG episode in mm-hmm. a way. I mean, it felt like... 
it, it wasn't trying to layer on top of layer on top of layer and 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 I do like things about it um the fact that there is the caring between Keiko and 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 Miles and sure it's easy for us after watching it several times and after 20 something years and whatever like like already I'm like why didn't they just send Molly uh, to be with Keiko's parents because we know they're still alive I mean they're they're like little things that you can think of that might have made that better but yes I mean honestly this was I felt their relationship. I remember saying that one other time uh, since we started Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. but I only remember saying it one other time. So, yeah, yeah I like that part of it. And yes, uh, nothing happened in this episode that made Quark any less likable for me. If anything, it made it more so, including the fact that, I mean, you see value in Quark. I mean, everything that we've always seen about, you know, what he knows about money and what he knows about working an angle has always been, you know, to somebody else's detriment, Mm-hmm. And and he can use his powers for good. Yeah. <laughs> and that yeah, was like, yeah. it was neat. I mean, I, I kind of wish uh, Cisco had been there to see that. Yeah. You know, I wish somebody else had been there to see that because the things that he does are not just, you know, well, they don't have to just be uh, you know, trying to make an extra, you know, uh, shaving of latinum, let's say. Sure. Uh, what about what about the learning part? What did we uh, what did we take from this episode, John? I, well, you know, if the lie works, maintain the lie. <laughs> I, I think that works for Quark and it works for the Klingons. Um, or, you know what, to, to put that a little more softly for Quark, uh, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. That's, uh, that certainly is working for him a little bit on the, um, uh, on the, uh, the bar success. Hmm. Um, well, right, right until it doesn't. Well, sure, but then then you just got to change up the lie a little bit and uh, and or expand it, and then uh, then you're good to go again. See, but the true story, the true story worked as well as the lie did. I mean, once the story, I mean, do you want to say something like you know, Ed, live your best life or whatever? Because in the end, the implication and in, in the conversation that he had with Rom mm-hmm. was like, oh, everybody's tired of hearing that story. Uh, nobody comes around for it anymore. Apparently, when he came back and he was like, yeah, so I threw down the thing and I was ready to die. And people are like, oh, that's fantastic. I'm going to buy another drink from you, sir, because I love coming here. You know, I loved it when I thought you might kill me. And now (laughs) I love it just as much when I think you might die. Sure. I I guess is is one of the things. Yeah. What else? What what, what else we gotten from this? Um, Well, there's there's something really interesting about the gore. And what's going on with uh, Gowron and the rest of the Klingons um, that I think I sort of approached in the last segment. Uh, what what Degora is doing is so un-Klingon, Klingons don't even want to address the notion or possibility, right? Mm-hmm. It's so un-Klingon that he almost gets away with it because no self-respecting Klingon would do the kinds of things they're accusing him of doing. Yeah. And it feels like there, there, there ought to be some kind of lesson there, right? Yeah. Um, well, um, on the one hand, I hate the idea that the lesson might be assume that everybody is up to no good, right? Mm-hmm. The old trust mm-hmm. but verify thing. I hate mm-hmm. that idea because then, yeah, that's really no way to live. At the same time, uh, he was born a Klingon. He speaks Klingon. He says he respects Klingon law. And it's like, you know, those who wave the Klingon banner most energetically and sing the songs of honor the loudest may not be the most honorable, even if they know the words, or even if they don't know the words, but they just say, no, I know all the words. I mean, they may actually just know which buttons to press. Now, luckily, we had Quark, and we had had, uh, uh, Grilka, and we had Gowron. 
this time. <laughs> we had mm-hmm. people to to be the uh, to be the grown up Klingons in the room, um, but it was it was it was just a hair's breadth that kept Degore from doing what he was doing. And it feels like there ought to be something there for uh, you know for for Klingons to learn and for uh, and for people to learn as well. Maybe. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're Klingon hum- people. human people. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, yes, human people. Klingon people or human people. Uh, it seems like there might be a lesson uh, a lesson worth pulling out. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can check out more at the Roddenberry Podcast Network. That's podcast.roddenberry.com. Over there, you'll find not just Mission Log and Mission Log Live, but Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, and your daily Star Trek news. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM at trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, Equilibrium. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Less trippy than Houses of the Holy. More stable than a house of cards. Less soulful than a house of blue. Wait. I think I did that one already. It must be time to end the transmission. End transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.